I'm excited about this message this morning. And, um, and I really just want to make two main points. But we're going to explore the context of Scripture. We're going into uh, John 4 today. So if you want to get there ahead of time. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Not because I think it's the only authorized version or anything like that. It's just that uh, it's the Bible that I've been reading most for the last year or so. And um, I really enjoy the translation. It's really readable. But I'm telling you that because sometimes when you're trying to read along and you have a different um, version, two different, it's better just to listen. I, I find that. Or, But um, I like several different translations. But uh, this is a good one. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you. Wow. Thank you for that time of worship this morning. God, just thank you that you're here now. Thank you for your mighty power that's within us and among us, God. I thank you that your kingdom is a kingdom of power. I love it. It says, you know, the kingdom of heaven does not consist in words, but in power. And I love that, Lord. I love that we're just not talking, but 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 there's power in the proclamation. And um, and not just that the proclamation itself is powerful, but when your kingdom is proclaimed, real power comes to transform lives, to heal bodies, to affect hearts and minds, to lead us deeper and further into you. Lord, I ask for your help this morning. May your spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you be poured out on us. And I thank you that as the word goes into our hearts this morning, Lord, that even as we walk out of here, it's living and active and vibrant and it's taking root in the soil that's mixed with faith and producing great fruit in our lives. I thank you for revelation that produces revelation by your spirit this morning. And Lord, I pray also that this morning as we look here into this word about uh, Jesus and his interactions with the woman at the well and then the conversation with his disciples, Lord, that there is a mission and a mandate, Lord, that you have for us and a plan, a design. And Lord, in that plan and design, you have purpose that we would thrive. And so I thank you for your love for us and for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is the temperature okay for you all in here this morning? Praise God. If I'm keeping a little bit of a distance, I'm keeping my hands clean if I shook your hand or anything. But I'm fighting a little something. So that's why if I'm not hugging as much or a little standoffish, just want you to know that. You know I'm a hugger. But uh, <laughs> I make no apologies. But uh, well, I'm going to read this verse to you this morning. Um, I'm going to go right for kind of the money verse. And then we're going to go back and read several verses this morning. Would it be okay if we read some scripture? Several verses of scripture this morning. Okay. But, but I want to give you the point of where we're going first. Okay. Jesus said this in verse 34. He said, John 4, 34 and 35. He said, my food. Oh, I know you love it when preachers do this. But you say my food. Food. It's food. Think about this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still more months, uh, still four more months than the harvest? 
Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes. Look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. Let's let that sink in. God has uniquely designed each of us with a purpose. Isn't that good news? I believe one of the one of the key causes of depression. I understand chemicals and things like that, but I'm telling you, I think it even straightens out chemicals. You know, one of the key causes of depression is a purposeless life. What is my purpose? Does my life matter? Do I matter? Nothing will send you into a tailspin quicker than thinking, than than that kind of thinking, right? Anybody ever been there before? Even temporarily? Come on, everybody has. Right? Everybody's at least woken up before their coffee, if you're a coffee drinker or something. You know, everybody's at least had a moment, right? Where you, and then you, you read But if you're a, perp, a person living with purpose, you know how to stay engaged with the purpose and the mandate in your life. And, um, but anyway, abundant life. And so you're perfectly equipped in Christ to live the life that he has called you to live. Isn't that good news? That he actually has a purpose for you, a life that he's dreamt about for you. Ephesians 2.10, where his workmanship created in Christ to do good works that he's actually prepared in advance. Amen. He has a plan and a purpose for every life. Anyway, that right there, we could just if we just take that and go home. That's good. It is. It's the Bible. It's, it's so, it is so good. It really is. Uh, the Bible is awesome. Each member of the body of Christ has a role in the harvest. A little bit of a spoiler here where we're going. The mission that he's given us basically comes down to this. This is what it basically comes down to. Our mission, really, our life in Christ really comes down to this. My purpose, your purpose, our purpose is that it was said like this once. May the lamb who was slain. Receive the reward for his suffering. Our whole life, praise God. You know what? I was just praying this morning and remembering again. Thank you, God, that you saved me from me. You redeemed me from myself. You know what? Yeah, from the grip of the devil. But you know what the grip of the devil is? It's a life lived for yourself because that's what he's doing. We're not going to go too far into that. But you know what I'm saying? A lot of people are like, well, I'm not evil. But you know... If I just live my own way, then I'm actually following the example of the enemy. <laughs> you went there. Yeah, that, that is the thing. Because that, that is what the devil did. That was his error. I want it my way. I'd like to be worshipped. I want it this way, etc., etc. And so, and so that's the life that seems right to a man, but it ends up in destruction and death. It seems so. I'm right. But then in the end, oh, I'm wrong. And um, I'd rather be wrong now, so then after that I can be right. And uh, right with God, and, um, which is right. He's right. So may the lamb who was slain receive the reward for his suffering. Really, the Christian life really is pretty simple. It really is about the glory of Jesus. There's a lot involved in this wonderful life. 
that the Lord has given us. It is for freedom that Christ says free. There's so much in the kingdom, but all of it really comes down to that he redeemed each of us from a life of futility so that we could live not for ourselves, but for God. So that Jesus is glorified. That he gets all the people that he paid for. He wants people. He loves them. He loves us. He loves me. He loves you. It's good news. Isn't that awesome? He came to seek and save those who are lost. Luke 19.10. All right, let's go. Let's go back here and I'm going to start. We're going to build the context because it's such a great story and there is so much here. The Bible says that that a word rightly spoken in due season is like an apple of gold in the setting of silver, right? And um, but the, but I want to tell you this morning we've got an apple of gold here in a beautiful setting of scripture in a in a in a beautiful historical context. I'm going to start with verse one in in uh, John chapter four when Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and, and baptizing more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. Okay, so Jesus, knowing, we're going to build some context all through, I'm going to stop as we go. So Jesus, knowing that it was not time for a confrontation with the Pharisees in Jerusalem yet, and he knew it was coming, because because his his reputation was gathering, right? Jesus would go around. You know how he did? Like, he'd heal people and go, okay, just don't tell anybody. Because it's not that he didn't want the, the Father to get the glory. But, I, but what I actually, I always thought about that. Like, what is that? And, and I wonder if part of it was that he was actually just wanting to have as much effect as possible because he knew his reputation. He knew it was going to grow. And, and if you can imagine the Pharisees', the Pharisees standpoint, anybody baptized, because what they understood was baptism, John was baptizing under repentance, okay? And then, so they understood, well, now Jesus' disciples are making, uh, they're, they're baptizing and making disciples. And so anytime anyone began to, to get a large gathering, the Pharisees then would have a concern. And, you know, and I know the Pharisees get a bad rap, but I will tell you something that, there's an element there that even though they were wrong, super wrong <laughs> about Jesus, that there was an element of protection that they were really after because they thought, well, who's, who's leading all these people astray? That's what they thought. They had some other problems. We're not going to get into that. Heart conditions, things like that. Okay, so, so his, and so this is why he had to go, he, this is why he took off the other way. Now, it says that he had to go through Samaria. He had to. Well, just so you know, he didn't have to. It wasn't the only route. And, and, and so, and actually, most Jews wouldn't take the route through Samaria that Jesus took. It was actually the shortest route and the most convenient for where he was going and where the Jewish people would be going but they would often take the longer way around, and you're going to see in this interaction with the woman at the well, because the Jewish people typically saw the Samaritan people as perpetually unclean. And they didn't even like to associate with them. And there was a couple reasons for this. During the Babylonian, uh, when, when the Babylons came 
in and conquered and took the took them into exile. Do you know who was left? The people. This is this is this is just the facts. It was the people that the Babylonians were like, we don't even want to capture you. We don't want you to come live with us. We're taking all the people. We're going to take a bunch of people and they're going to serve us. But there were actually some people, the real down and outers and things like that. And they were like, you guys are just going to stay. And, they, and this, was, this was the remnant that was left. And so these folks, what, what happened then, disillusioned and, and just imagine what the state they were in. They began to intermarry with non-Jewish people who were moving into the region. Which was actually one of God's commands historically. Do not marry. Don't, not, don't marry outside of your own people. Because what would happen is, often like we saw with Solomon and over and over actually, is that the people they would marry, they would take wives from other peoples, but they would come in with their own worship and their own idols. And so then there would be a mixture of worship and it would be idol worship and it, and they would always lead they would get led astray. And they didn't need any help on that. None of us need help on that. And, um, and so, uh, and then to, to make, uh, so, so they were mixed blood. So one, they had mixed, they were mixed. They weren't really seen as true Jews to the Jews of Jerusalem. The other part was this subject, and I'm getting ahead, we're going to read it in a minute, but I won't have to stop when I get there if I tell you now, is that the, the issue of mixed worship. So it was mixed lineage, not really a Jew. And, and then it was mixed worship. You kind of don't really worship just Yahweh. And, 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 they're, and, they're, and actually what they had going, it's not really a laughing matter, but I find it so interesting, is that they, they had their own form of worshiping Yahweh. They only accepted five books of the, of the Bible, uh, of the Old Testament. They rejected the rest. And the rest, they kind of, so, so then they kind of, and then they took certain laws and commands and mixed it with basically superstition. And they had all this superstition and some things from the Bible and some commands, with, the commands they liked from God. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't the ones they didn't like. Right? If, you, if you're mixing it up, you, you're probably not going to grab the ones you don't like. You can, you're going to grab the ones you like and, you know, the Bible verses you like and tear out the pages you don't like, evidently, or at least whole books. And this is kind of what had happened. And so the Jewish people actually had a disdain for the Samaritans, which most of us know. And if you know how they felt about Gentiles, they actually had higher esteem generally for Gentiles than Samaritans. So it was pretty intense. And when you're going to see in a minute when we read this, that when, when the woman at the well, when she references, our fathers say that we worshipped, our fathers used to worship on the mountain here. What it was was Mount Gerizim. Now, there was a tradition. It's not actually even in Scripture, but it was like a tradition Well, that, that, well, that Moses had uh, esteemed that place. They built this place of worship that was like unsanctioned. God didn't tell them to do it. It, it. They just said, well, we're going to have our own temple right here on Mount Gerizim. And then to make the contentions worse, the Jews came along at some point and burned it down and knocked it down. And they're like, you can't have that temple. 
And so there was extreme contention. And so she's having this conversation with Jesus at the well. And, and she's saying, our father said to worship on the mountain. And she's even got a story about the well there that is not really, you can't really prove it, etc. So all these traditions, superstitions, kind of this mixture, they're lost. Let's move on. And so, um, so I'm going to pick up here. Then he, so he left Judea and he went to Galilee. My point in that was that it says he, he had to go through Samaria. The reason he had to go through Samaria was because for him, the Samaritan people were his mission along the way. He had to because his heart was for these people. Powerful. So he left Judea, went again to Galilee, and had several, and um, and had to travel through Samaria. He went down to the town of Samaria, called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. This is powerful because what it shows you is, even though Jesus was the Son of God. You really see, in this story, you see this magnificent Son of God, full of power, able to save, and also, in full human form, really tired. And actually, the language of the Scripture here has an extra word, like in your translation it might say, he was worn out from his journey and he sat thus at the well, or something like that. The word thus is actually a word, it's hard to translate, but it actually emphasizes he was so tired, so he sat tired by the well. And so Jesus is worn out from a whole day's journey, and he sits there by the well. He's tired. And so it was about, the, uh, it was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked. She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, well, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, said the woman. <laughs> I love Jesus. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. It was like well over a hundred feet deep. Well over. So right there. Alright. But it was like well over a hundred feet deep. And uh can you imagine the danger in digging a well like that back then? Hundred feet in the ground plus. Alright. You aren't greater than J than our father Jacob, are you? Yes. Um, he gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up from uh, within him for eternal life. That's <laughs> so good. I mean, the kind of water you drink and then it makes you into a fountain. That's good. Right? Your best day in the Old Testament... In the, under the old covenant, David experienced. My cup runs over. But it's still a cup. 
The new covenant is so much better that there's no more cup. You get a, you are, you get, you're a fountain. I'm so dry. Well, you're a fountain. I'm not saying we don't feel that way sometimes, but remembering you're a fountain is a key to not being dry. And so, sir, the woman said to him, uh, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to, to draw this water. I love the practical. I love the childlike belief, though, the faith, right? Oh, goodness, I don't have to lower a bucket in this well anymore? Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she asked. Well, you, you've correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you have, you've had five husbands, and the man who you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. <laughs> what gave it away? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say... The place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Now, here's what's amazing. I, I just want to draw out a few points as we go. Like, Here's what is amazing to me is that there is this contention between Samaritans and Jews. Right? And I think a lot of people would think Jesus would be like, well, hey, 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 no, you know what, let's just, let's just come together. But he clearly sides as a Jew. He speaks to her as a Jew. He's loving her. He's accepting her where she is. But he is not softening that edge of like, we actually worship what we know and you worship what you don't know. You've kind of made up your own thing over here. But but I see your hungry heart. Isn't that amazing? He didn't treat her like he didn't have to put on the kid gloves. I mean, and Jesus never does. You know, like, I mean, he's intense. But his, his love is so powerful and direct. And it brings freedom. And so, and so, uh, moving on. But an hour is coming. And now is. And now is here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So he's shifting her perspective from natural to spiritual focus. From natural eyes to spiritual eyes. And what's happening here is that there's a shift from old covenant to new. Because there was a time when the ark was the presence and the temple was the place. And, and Jesus is now setting us up for now, pretty soon... You're actually the place of worship. You are the temple. So you worship in spirit and in truth once you get this fountain going inside of you. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him uh, must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. Oh, I love it. She's got faith. I know. She believes the prophecies, though. And... um, who, who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. <laughs> I think it's happening. Um, I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed and he was talking with, that he was talking with a woman. One, a woman, that was an issue, two, a Samaritan. Yet no one said, 
what do you want? I love it. They're so uncomfortable about what Jesus is doing, but they don't want to ask him. I'm uncomfortable, but I'm pretty sure I'm probably wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I don't understand, but I'm going to be wrong. All right, and so, uh, what do you want? They didn't ask him, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her, uh, her water jar, went into town, and she see her priority shift there. She left behind her water jar, abandoned her original cause, because forget it. Messiah's here. And he told the man, come and see. She told him, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. This is the Messiah. They left the town. Jesus had this way of when he spoke to you, you had this sense that he saw right through you. That he saw everything inside of you and that he knew every detail about your life. It even says he didn't even have to ask because he knew what was in a person. He was like this. You, you know, you saw it with Nathaniel. I saw you under the tree, you know, and he's just like, whoa, it was the same kind of response. I saw you under the tree. You know everything about me. I saw you under the tree. Said that to him. So that you can tell that there's more than a statement. It's an encounter. So in the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, teacher, eat something. He's worn out from a journey, remember? Um. But he said, I have no food to eat. Or he said, No, that's not what he said. He said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Job said it this way. Job said, I have desired your word. More than my necessary food. My hunger for you has surpassed my natural hunger. How many just will take more of that? You know, not the religious like, I'm going to fast to try to be more righteous. You know that doesn't work? You know fasting doesn't make you righteous? But the kind of hunger that says, I just just want more of you more than I want a hamburger. I want a hamburger, but I want you more than I want a hamburger, so I kind of forgot about it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Two things here. It's the will of God that every believer finds their part to play in the kingdom that brings fulfillment. That you can actually be so fulfilled in your God-given design that you can forget to eat. Has anyone ever actually, I've, I've, experienced, I've actually experienced this. Where you're like, I actually just, got, I'm, I'm so fulfilled by what I was doing. When did I, this morning? I'm hungry. Like it sets in on you all of a sudden, right? And, and it's amazing. And, and so that God has designed you. I know that, like, you know, religion will tell you that whatever you hate to do, God's going to make you do it. And, and your service to God is that you would be miserable for God for the rest of your life. And then someday you get to go to heaven. Praise the Lord. No wonder we're just waiting for the rapture at any moment. Instead of fulfilling the Great Commission. You know? The Great Escape instead of the Great Commission. <laughs> All right. 
I had a friend who just recently said, if you're waiting to die to be freed from sin, then death is your savior, not Jesus. Yeah, I'm just quoting a friend. It's so powerful. If you're waiting to die to be freed from sin, then death is your savior, not Jesus. Wow, there's freedom and power today for this life. Here's one for you. He has given you everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything you need to live a holy, godly life of service and fulfillment to Jesus, He's already given you. Oh, it's good news. It's good news. This is why it's called good news. Is anybody excited about this? Fulfillment, abundant life, is found in living out the call or the mandate on your life by walking submitted to Him in your gifts and calling. Have you noticed that the more you, like, the more you focus on yourself and try to make yourself happy, the more miserable you become? Has anyone ever noticed that? And then when you get outside yourself and you go, I'm just going to worship. I'm going to serve somebody. Then all of a sudden you're like, you break out of that thing. It's because oftentimes, and I'm getting ahead here, but I want to say this. Oftentimes, we have been duped into believing that our job is to make ourselves more righteous. And so what happens is, instead of realizing that Christ has already done that for us. So that by faith in His work, I am already righteous and holy. Do you know the key to living a sinful life is to believe, is, is that you believe the work of Christ was enough for you. And so it's by faith we're saved, not by works. So when I believe that the work was enough and I stand on that truth, then the activity of my life begins to radiate that fruit. Because ultimately the fruit of my life comes out of what I actually believe, not what I can recite. We teach what we know, but I can only break off the bread that I've digested and has become a part of my cells. Like part of me, you know, the bread of my life. And, and, and the, where I've encountered God and where He's encountered me and where I've feasted on Him and it's given life to me, that's why one person can say a word and another can say the same word. And, and, it, and when one person said it, it was one thing and the other person said it and it transformed the life. Now, sometimes I'm not picking on anybody because we didn't say any names and we've all been there. I mean, sometimes you planted a seed. Right. So you don't always get to harvest in every moment. So there's that too. I understand that. But there is that element of a thing called anointing and power. You ever notice some of the most powerful evangelists? They don't actually have they have a pretty simple message. But you feel like getting saved every time they preach. And I'm already saved and I kind of want to get saved again. You know what I'm talking about? It's that power of conviction on their life. Okay, moving on. God is such a father 
And, and, and He has such a heart for us. Think about this. That His delight How many have kids in here? How many? All of us. When your kids when your kids are happy and joyful and thriving, doesn't it just bless your heart? That's what you want. Isn't it what you want? And, and a parent delights in that. You know? Oh. But when your kid is scared, you want to comfort them. You know what I mean? Like, when your kid is scared or, or sad or hurt or or they're... <laughs> I want to help you. Let me teach you how to do that. But they can't, they, they can't receive it from you yet. And you're like, okay, well, oh, you're bumping your head there. It's all right. But, I mean, I want to help you. Well, God on another level, because he created us. And he designed each of us. And so his delight is so much. It's infinitely greater and deeper in this way that he has designed you. Specifically fashioned you, like, right? If you want to drive nails, you make a hammer. Like, a hammer is designed. The weight of it. Like, where the weight is. Like, you know, when you, you just swing a hammer and you just, when you get into the flow, you just, pretty much you're dropping it on nails, you know, and it works. It just works. Like, that hammer's just being itself. And it works. Well, so much more that you and I are designed in such a way that when we find our place of Function in Him. He loves that because one, His kingdom goes forward. And two, that is the place that you are the most happy and the most fulfilled. And that is where abundant life is found. I came that you might have a life and that life abundant. And the more I kind of, you know, whenever I've wrestled and struggled and along the way, you know what? It comes down like peace comes when you surrender to God's design. And he's designed you and me. So, and Jesus understood this. And, and, and let's just focus on what he said there in this first point. I only have one other point, so. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. There is a place. There is a way of walking with God available to every human being who becomes a believer. That you will find where your gifts and grace and calling come to bear in a way that feeds you. And there is nothing like it. I've just, oh, I want everyone to have it. It doesn't mean there's no challenges. It doesn't mean it's never stretching. It means, though, that what a joy it is to get totally, completely tired out, like Jesus at the well, doing what feeds you. So you have this experience that you just pour out and pour out, and then you go lay down and you're like, I'm by the well, I need a drink. I'm tired. 
But as you're sitting there get, just waiting for that drink or getting a drink, there's something else happening. I feel so full. I feel so satisfied. I feel so rich. I feel what a privilege to do, to get really tired doing what I was created to do. Because we're all going to get tired doing something. It's true, right? We're all going to, well, life, there's work in life, and work is good. And so whatever realm of life you're called to, because this is what we're about here in the kingdom of God, is raising up the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. So that whatever you do, you've got to give to hospitality. You throw good Super Bowl parties. You know what I'm saying? You invite your neighbor. No, I mean literally though. Like you, you, you bring your... You can bring your unsaved neighbors from, or your unsaved friends from work to have some dry salami and some chip dip and whatever and, and watch a ball game. And in the midst of that, you know what's happening? They're like, oh, I got this thing going on. Oh. Would you mind if I say a prayer for you? What? You ever do this? Hey, can I pray for you? Sure, go ahead. All right, let's pray. Oh, right now? They thought, they thought you were going to go away and pray. Well, I'll pray for you later. Let's pray now. And you just say a very quick prayer in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that you love them. Thank you for touching the situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me know how that goes. And you just go back to your dry salami. But, it, but in, in that, like the seeds of the kingdom are being sown wherever you are. Okay. But this is available. How many want to find this in a deeper way? It's so available in your life. Like, good news. All right. Good news. You know, because in a team, here's, a, here's one for you. This is getting into the next point. We're going to make that pretty quick. But no one in the kingdom, do you know there's no fans in the kingdom? Everyone's on the team. Right? And, you know, a team, there's all kinds of different roles, right? You know, when the quarterback's like, I feel like coming over here and blocking instead. You're like, well, that's a problem. Like, who's throwing the ball? Who's handing it off? You know, and, you know, so, you know what I'm saying? And, and so, so that, and so lots of times what we're, what we're experiencing when we don't have that life that we're not experiencing abundance is perhaps we just really haven't accepted or found out, discovered, lots of it's about discovery, really who I am designed to be in Christ. Ephesians 2.10, in Christ. Lots to explore on that. So I thank you, Father, for a revelation of that for each of us in a deeper way. And now he says, and now listen to me. I'm telling you, open your eyes. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Do you realize, you know what it says, the plowman will will overtake the reaper? And we're like, someday that's going to happen. It happened when Christ came. 
this actually is a new covenant reality that they, is like, well, we got to sow and plow. Yeah, there's sowing and plowing, but the plowing and the sowing and the reaping is all taking place at the same time always in the kingdom. And so sometimes you're sowing and you're plowing, but somewhere else at the same, like I can plant here and plow a little here, but then along the way I'm like, well, I get to harvest one. I get to harvest where I didn't sow. And so, and so I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Live uh, um, now many Samaritans. And the reason I'm reading this is because what you can see here is that the message of Jesus is actually being displayed in the context of his life as he's speaking the message. It's so powerful. So he's like, the field's ripe for harvest. And no sooner does he say that, than all his disciples look up, and all the cities crowding around Jesus, and they're all believing in him. Because this one woman that he spoke to. Talk about, like, I don't know, Jesus, is it really ripe for harvest? Well, there's a big crowd around us, and they're all believing. And so... It's so powerful. And so, um, and therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, uh, to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And the story goes on. Everyone has a place, and the field is ripe. And what I like that he says here as well, what I notice what Jesus says here is, hey, look, look out there. And I think it's so powerful for each of us at different time, like at different moments in our life. We all, I think we all need to do this because sometimes I'm looking at something else. I'm looking at, you know, whatever. I'm looking at someone or I'm looking at my belly button or down at my shoes or you know what I'm saying? And, and, and Jesus' prescription is, he, he gives us a mission. And he says, hey, what are you looking at? Look out there. Just look out there. Look out there. Get everyone. And he's like, get everyone. Everyone. Look. This is what I want you to look at. I came to seek and save those that were lost. I want all who follow me to look at what I'm looking at. I see a white field ready for harvest. And the key to that is that all you who came gathering around this well to get the living water that I prophesied to this woman is that now that you're a fountain, go leak all over town. Go back to your jobs. Go build some houses. Go catch some fish. Go build your business. Go raise your kids. Go join the PTA, whatever it is. And, and whatever you do, let the fountain flow because the field is ripe for harvest. And, and I just believe that God is infusing us with faith in these days to join him in his harvest. And, and what I actually believe is that this... the. You know, the field was ripe and it never became unripe since Jesus said that. 
because he hasn't come back lately and said, it's not ripe anymore. Just hold off till it's ripe again. You know, he, he, I know, being funny, but it's true, he didn't. And, 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 and he gave us a, he gave us a commission. And I just think that sometimes, you know, when we realize that actually, when I really find out what he's saying about me and he's defining who I am, you want to discover what I thought was a bunch of hard work really just looks like me being myself. You. Being yourself. Which is a light and a witness. Full of living water. You. And I think when we realize what I know is when we realize because oftentimes what happens is we just don't realize what's in us. And when we realize that like, you're not waiting. Listen, if you know Jesus, you're not waiting for some special thing to come and happen to you. You already have the kingdom inside you. And so so we're sitting around, you know, sometimes we're sitting around feeling condemned because, man, I messed up here and I dropped the ball here and I should have done this better. And the problem is the more you focus on that, the harder you do because... But the harder it is because you're you're living by works and you're trying to make up for mistakes and you never can. You know, the only the only remedy is forgiveness. And the only the only help is grace. And so we're trying to be righteous. And he told me to release the kingdom. What I notice is when I sit around trying to be righteous, I'm not releasing the kingdom. But when I'm out releasing the kingdom in everyday life. Righteousness kind of seems to just flow. Because he's already done that for me. So I'm trying to do what he's done instead of doing what he sent me to do. That's why it's hard. Because the grace for your life, this is the closing point, the grace for your life really is found in what you're designed, in your designed function, in what you're designed to do. In other words, we often try to give ourselves rest, but the grace for our whole life is actually found in the challenge that we're called to. Would you stand with me today, please? Thank you. The activation of every member in the body of Christ. This is what the devil's so scared of. He's afraid. That you and I are going to figure out fully who we are. Because he already knows. Oh man, he's shivering. Think about it. He's like, oh man, if they ever find out. (laughs) I'm really in trouble. I've already lost. But boy, I'm going to take a beating. Well, that's happening. I don't know. Take hands or something. Let's pray together. Father... Help us. God, I thank you, God, for, the, for, for what was released today. God, I pray for grace that not, not, in a, not in a pressurized, hard works way, but an easy flowing of like, Lord, I'm going to believe I am who you say I am. I pray for a grace for every ear to be tuned into God, to hear like never before what he's saying about you. I want to tell you, it's 
better than you think. Think God's going to give you bad news about yourself, but he just has good things to tell you. He wants to speak identity to me. He wants to tell me, oh, that's what you wanted to say, Lord. Why was I afraid? So beautiful. So, God, I thank you that that you would anoint us as lights in our community. That many, many, many will come to know you. Will drink of this living water. And also learn what it is to do a work for you that feeds them well. In Jesus' name.